The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. There's two things you're doing when you're sitting like that. You're either checking your yes. phone or you're rolling a joint. It's one of the two. Am I right? <laughs> you are. I, it looks like his pants are down, though, so you don't usually roll joints with your pants down. So I'm guessing number two. <laughs> oh, baby. Round one to the draft. It's in the books. We got lots to talk about, Paulie Burmeister, especially... I don't know what the hell's going on in the Mike Vrabel house that you just heard that clip with me and Mike Florio. I don't know. I don't know who those two people that were standing behind him that were already weird looking, let alone the guy we spotted on the toilet. Big question is, was he sitting down to take a pee or was he going number two? I don't know. It's a big question because when I'm at home, you know, I like to sit down and take a pee. Uh, Paul and right. I sit down. That's right. Yeah, I forgot about that part of uh, the, the early part of our relationship here on On Button. And all that going on behind Mike, maybe it was all to take away from the question was the sixth best offensive tackle in the draft worthy of a first round pick? I mean, we're not talking right. about that. Yeah, you're yeah. right. And that's certainly a good topic of conversation. Hey, you know, hey, we're going to hit it all here on the draft today. We're going to talk about teams that we think knocked it out that had multiple picks. We're going to rank our top five top five picks. Paul and I both got five ready to go. We'll hit on some of the big players that are still available for round two. Hey, let's not forget, everyone, really the success rate for players drafted in round two and three is higher than round one. And I, I know that ever since I've been in this business, I, I usually come away leaving round one going, damn, most of my favorite players haven't been picked yet. So We'll see how that goes tonight. That's going to be fun to watch, but we certainly do have a lot to discuss here, Paul, some big-time moves. And, you know, hey, I I do a little tidbit. You know, we saw, I think, two things that jumped out to me football philosophy-wise last night. You hit on it. One with the right tackle from Georgia. You know, we saw offensive linemen be a priority because, as you and I both know, college football right now is not really into coaching offensive linemen. And we have a lot of freak defensive ends in the NFL right now. So you better have people on the edge that can block them. You know, with guys like Austin Jackson, who, you know, I've talked about from USC. He's got all these physical traits to be a franchise guy. Had an underwhelming year last year because he, he transferred some bone marrow to his, his, his sister. Um, so, you know, again, it wasn't a good film, but I know the physical traits are there. You're Isaiah, you know, you're Isaiah Wilson that you talked about from Georgia. You know, that's a very real topic. And then nickel corners. We saw a run of nickel corners there at the end of the first round where it shows you. I think teams are prioritizing those positions a little more maybe than we've seen in history. 
uh, as they should absolutely have to have one. And I don't know the exact number, Chris, but I know it's well past 50% of the snaps on defense that you play with that nickel corner. It's not like it was seven, eight years ago where you get a smaller corner. Maybe he's a four, six instead of a four, five. Oh, we'll get him in the middle rounds and stick him there at nickel. You got to have one to play almost every single snap now. And we'll, we'll, we'll get to those guys here yeah. a little bit later. Let's start kind of kind of big picture. You already started us kind of going down that road, but let's take a peek here at all 32 picks. And we're going to get into each one of these highlights and themes. We've got it sorted out in a way that flows pretty well to us the way we're seeing it. But no surprise, one, two, three, when you talk about Burrow, Young, Okuda. And really, the popular positions, kind of just like we thought, a little over half of the first round picks, Chris, either quarterbacks, wide receivers, offensive linemen, or cornerbacks, the traditional variety, or the slot. And we're going to get into that as much as we possibly can here uh, in the next 90 minutes. Maybe we get even a little bit closer to two hours. Let's start yeah, off well, with Tua yeah. Tagovailoa with Tua okay. at number five. Okay. Best word to describe, according to you, the Dolphins taking the Alabama quarterback at that spot. Well, risky. I mean, that would be the best word that would describe it to me. I mean, this, yes, playing, you know, there's, there's tremendous risk factor here. You know, I, I don't mean to, to beat the drum once again here on the Tua conversation. You know, I, I let it be known that it's a yes, headline. I don't, I know it's the headline. You know, I let it be known that even without the injury history, I don't think he was worth the top five pick. But, you know, there is an injury history. It's extensive. And yes, that scares me. So that'll be something that, you know, I'm going to have to see it to believe it, really, to, to go down. And, and if I'm wrong, y'all be the first one to admit it and, and we'll go from there. But, you know, also, I just think the other thing that plays into this a little, Paul, too, is we've seen the last few years, if teams like a quarterback, they just go ahead and do it. There's no like, oh, we're going to wait till later in the round or anything like that. Strike early in the round. No, you get your guy and feel good about that. And I think the Dolphins knew they had a guy they really liked. And another aspect of this that I think is very real, Paul, I, what, we don't know what's going to happen with college football next year, right? I think it's very much up in the air. I think we have a way better chance of NFL football happening than college football happening. And, you know, if there's no college football season and you're a team that needed a quarterback in this draft but then decided, eh, I'll wait till next year, well, how's that going to work? I mean, are you going to draft Trevor Lawrence, who hasn't played quarterback in 18 months by the time it comes around for him to be drafted and played in the NFL? So I wonder if that played into some of these organizations thinking about making sure they got the guy they wanted this year in this draft. And you consider, Chris, how that filters into our world and how we get to see some of these quarterbacks. We're both on schedule to be in South Bend next November when, as of right now, Clemson is supposed to be there. And I've had that one circled not only for the excitement of the game, but for a chance to see Trevor Lawrence in person, we, we may not get that chance b before next year's draft. So I think you bring up a very good point. And that sliver of quarterback example is just one way to think about uh, what you just brought up there with the topic. What's it going to be like next year? Yeah, no, it, it is. It's, it's a fascinating subject. And hey, the Tua conversation is fascinating in itself. I know the Dolphins love Joe Burrow, but I think Tua was always the second guy on their board. and you know, they, they were happy with the medicals, right? You know, the teams that liked Tua, they were okay with the medicals. The teams that were on the fence or didn't like them, they basically failed as medicals. That's usually how it goes. So we'll see, you know, and again, they're not desperate to have to play him right away either with Brian Fitzpatrick being there and Chan Gailey's got a history with Brian Fitzpatrick. They could manage the year without him, 
But I doubt that happens. You know, that, that just it doesn't happen very much anymore. You know, we, right. we say this every year, right? Every year. Oh, mm-hmm. Carson Wentz, we're going to let him sit for the year behind uh, Sam Bradford. Oh, trade Sam Bradford. Carson Wentz is in. Daniel Jones is going to sit the year behind Eli Manning. Week three, let's start in Daniel Jones. I mean, you can go down the list. It, it's really, other than Aaron Rodgers, back then, he's the last guy that's really been held out for an extensive period of time as one of those, you know, top quarterbacks drafted. So when teams see these guys and fan bases see Herbert and Tua and they get out there in the preseason and they have a little success and then the team gets to see them in practice and go, okay, they know how to manage the offense. They just go, okay, what are we wasting time for? Let's just make them a starting quarterback and get on with it. And that's what will happen right. here. And there's a whole lot of unpredictability with any any team, any quarterback situation. But when you think about Miami, can't you almost predict they'll be around 500 or maybe a little below in October? Maybe they lose a couple games in a row. Ryan Fitzpatrick in those two games, maybe he throws four or five picks. I mean, at that point, if two is healthy, are we really not going to see him? Uh, I, I think we all know the answer to that. Yes, exactly right. Yeah, I mean, you're right. There, there's too much invested. The The fan base will be clamoring for it. And, you know, two is a household name. I mean, everybody in America has been telling us Tua was the number one pick in the draft for the last year and a half. So, mm-hmm. you know, the fan that's not in the weeds like you and I and draft and evaluation, all that, they just go, oh, wait, they got Tua. He was the quarterback at Alabama. They were amazing. He must be amazing, too. This is awesome. I like the Dolphins. Here we go. And that's really what, <laughs> what happens in these types of situations. <laughs> You sum it up so well. Uh, so I've heard a number of people say uh, surprise there at five. I don't think it was a surprise at all. And maybe it turns out to be a mistake at five that they took to a, uh, but no real surprise. He went at five. No surprise at six. This quarterback turn we've talked about for the last couple of months that the Chargers, after all the smoke screen about how much they like Tyrod Taylor, they take Justin Herbert. So almost a day later, question to my mind. Not which team is going to win more next year. Which quarterback do you think is walking into a better situation the next three years to develop and be the best quarterback he can be when he's still a young quarterback? Well, you know, I, I do look at that, that Los Angeles Chargers-Justin Herbert combination and think, ooh, you know, first off, the Chargers-Anthony Lynn, they want to play defense, play through their run game a little bit. Uh, and, and kind of control the football game and the flow of the game that way. I mean, Justin Herbert's going to be able to do that this year. He will be. You know, I mean, again, this is a very smart individual. And do you okay, think he starts right away, Chris? I, I do. I think it's going to just become down to they're going to get into training camp and go, wait, 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 Justin Herbert's bigger? Wait, wait, he's faster? He's got a stronger arm? He had the number one Wonderlick score out of all the quarterbacks? He's already picked up the offense? And I think they're going to go, we were going to kind of play ball control. Let's not let the quarterback screw the game up type of play anyways. So why not go with the rookie who actually has more talent than the guy that we have as the veteran? So I do. And then you talk about, you know, hey, he's got a good running back. He's got some good receivers and a tight end to play with. And the big thing is the defense. Their defense is, it was the top five defense last year. And now they've added Chris Harris Jr. and Kenneth Murray late in the first round last night. And I just go, watch out. The Chargers are one of those teams that you put a little mark next to to go, they could be really a pain in the butt and certainly in playoff contention next year. But as for my question about which quarterback is in the better position to to develop and get better down the road, I agree the Chargers are a better team. But if he does start right away, and I agree that could happen, 
It's a team that, you know, people expect to go nine and seven ish, you know, maybe sure, get to sure. 10 wins. And those expectations are going to be different on him than however Tua's season plays out his rookie year in Miami. That That's very real. I mean, you're right. Joe Burrow and Tua, I don't think any of us are going to be sitting there going, we think they should be a playoff contender. But I'd still, within that, and you're right, the high expectations puts more pressure on the situation. I would still rather be the quarterback with the high expectations with talent around me than the, better team. the quarterback with lower expectations with, yes, a lesser team around me. And that's why I think they're, you know, there's room to develop and develop fast. And like I said, I don't think they're going to need Justin Herbert to go out there and just score 30 points right away in week one with the way they play defense. Yeah, he's and uh, they made a nice move to get back in later in the first round right? to get Murray the linebacker. Nice. The out of Oklahoma like that one a whole lot. Uh, speaks to their yeah. identity on that side of the ball for sure. So we had three quarterbacks go in the top six, which is a nice story in any draft. Then we get to number 26, the Green Bay Packers uh, trading up to get Jordan Love. And, and Chris, I got to be honest, I felt like you know, back when you were in college, I, I was in local news. I was at KWWL in Waterloo, Iowa, and I could picture us down in this little newsroom. And there was one time, there was no story. It was about 5.40, no lead story for the six o'clock. And then we get news, comes in everywhere, major car accident, about 10 miles, you know, a, a tragic pileup on the interstate. And our news director was like, now we have a lead. Now, this is a much less tragic situation, but when the Packers <laughs> traded up to do that, I had this flashback of, now now we have a lead for round one. <laughs> the Packers making this move that is so easy to stand back and, um, and, and to poke holes in. So I know you don't like it. I don't like it either. I want specifics on, on why you think this is a questionable move. Yeah, well, that's a funny story. And I think this is a car crash of a pick just to, you know, you know, uh, go off of what you're saying. I, I, yeah, I don't like it. I mean, I don't. You know, first off, let's just talk about the quarterback, Jordan Love. I like him, as you know. I mean, I originally ranked him in front of Tua, you know. But this is a guy that, you know, the more you dug into, he, he needs a little more time. Everything about his game is inconsistent and raw. And the reason I liked him and I think I fell in love with him a little too hard at first is because his good is really good. I mean, he makes some throws during the season where, you know, I wrote in my notes like, man, that's Aaron Rodgers, what he just did right there. So I can see what Green Bay liked in the talent of Jordan Love. But when we get into the total conversation here about where we are in the NFL right now, 2020, the quarterback situation and the team that the Green Bay Packers have, I hate it. I hate it for this reason. I mean, we're seeing Drew Brees and Tom Brady and all these quarterbacks play till they're 40 years old and still be able to play at a high level. Aaron Rodgers is still one of the five best quarterbacks in football. You know, yeah, is he going to go downhill a little here the next few years? Yes, but I don't think he's going to fall off a cliff. You know, he's still going to be right in that conversation for one of the five best quarterbacks in football. So what I just don't understand is I would rather have seen a little bit more of desperation mode. Let's go all in with Aaron Rodgers and bolster our roster. Instead of going with, man, here's the developmental quarterback who's got a tremendous upside, but by the time he might be developed and ready to go, Aaron Rodgers probably will still be playing and still be playing at a high level to where I don't know if Green Bay ever bears the fruits of the talent of a Jordan Love. And then to me, that's a waste of a pick. And maybe they don't bear the fruits of the talent that's on their roster 
right now. And I, I think initially, yes. Chris, you and I, and I, I heard you this morning say I kind of had my feelings hurt. And there's that ex-quarterback in there that you're like, you can put yourself in Aaron Rodgers' shoes and be like, oh, my God, did, did my team really do that? And you're, you're mad for that reason. But as to what you talk about with the team, I, I took a step back this morning and thought about it and, and said, okay, your first round pick, no matter the team, no matter you, your year, in the abstract, what's it for? It's to help your team take that next step. So if you're a rotten team, if this guy can help you win six games, you've won. If you're an average team, if he helps you play meaningful games in December, you've won. Where is exactly. Green Bay? They're one of the final four teams last year. And their right. main problem was they couldn't stop San Francisco and they couldn't move the ball consistently against San Francisco. This pick doesn't help that one single bit. And then you go even bigger picture. Look at the other three teams that were playing on championship weekend. What did San Francisco do? They had just addressed a need on the D-line, which is their identity of the entire team. They got another quarterback for Kyle Shanahan to help them be even tougher to beat, to maybe score a touchdown right. in the next Another Super wide Bowl. receiver. Well, yeah, go ahead. Yes, yeah. Tennessee. Okay, Jack Conklin leads. We need an offensive tackle. As I brought up, maybe the sixth best offensive tackle will help you next year. Maybe he won't. But they clearly have a plan to make a good team even better. That's right. And then you That's look what at they want to do. Yeah. The other team, Kansas City. What did they do? They're laughing at everybody. They gave themselves your best running back in the draft, out of the backfield to run and to catch. Say what you want about those picks individually. Those other three teams that played in championships – made a pick that makes them even tougher to beat next season because they're in this little window. And Green Bay didn't do that. They didn't even come close to doing that. And just as a fan, as somebody who wants to watch Aaron Rodgers walk onto the field in January and have a meaningful third and seven in the second half, that doesn't help that. That doesn't help no. that situation that we would all like to see. And if you love Green Bay, it doesn't help you get closer to the next level, which for them is the Super Bowl. Exactly right. I mean, this is this is a team that we're holding to a Super Bowl standard. But Paul, you, outstanding. You made so many great points, and that is the point, you know. And again, to you know, where I just get sick of it, and I get a little pissed off, and it does bother me. As you know, I think Aaron Rodgers. He's the greatest quarterback I've ever seen. When he was in his prime for about an eight-year run, he was the best I have ever seen. And I know not everybody agrees with that, and that's cool. But I don't think anybody could disagree that like. He's not one of the most talented quarterbacks you've ever seen play the, the position. So uh, I guess I'm frustrated in that, you know, Rodgers is always going to get a bad rap. Oh, he only won one Super Bowl. Oh, he's only been to one Super Bowl. I want to go, well, damn, yeah, that's not his fault. I mean, he needs some help. How many years can he carry the team? How many years can we have a mediocre defense and a lot of receivers who are solid, but nobody's great? But yet we expect the offense and the Green Bay to be in the Super Bowl contention. Why? It's only because of Aaron Rodgers. I mean, his damn back and shoulders must be so fucking tired from carrying the squad. It's unbelievable. But then we get to NFC Championship games where, hey, the team failed them in Seattle. Hey, they lost to Atlanta and San Francisco in the last two NFC Championships they've been in. And people are going to go, oh, he didn't come through big in those games. They were so not in the class of the Atlanta Falcons or the San Francisco 49ers as a team and were there only because of the greatness of Rodgers, but yet Rodgers is going to get blamed for it. Damn, we can go back and watch the Super Bowl in 2010. Watch how the team failed him on that day. I mean, he made they dropped three, four touchdown passes. 
And he played an unbelievable game that should have been even more unbelievable, and they should have won by 20 points. But they they kind of dropped the ball as a team that day. So I'm just frustrated. As a fan of Aaron Rodgers yes. and as a fan of any great quarterback, mm-hmm. and yes, I kind of root for Green Bay because I like Rodgers and want to see him succeed, and I get sick of hearing the hate towards him at times. Yeah, this this pick, for lack of a better phrase, just pisses me off. And we, we see here exactly what you have tweeted out. That's, uh, it, it pisses you off. And I want to follow up <laughs> even more to, 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 to what I, I heard you say there about some people are going to say, well, I mean, maybe Aaron Rodgers is on the decline. And, hey, at some point he's going to have to take a step down and sure. his play is going to fall off. But let's look at the playoff game they won last year at home against Seattle. And unlike San Francisco and unlike Kansas City, that they were clearly better than a number of teams they played. They could play pretty well and handle almost everybody. Green Bay right. needed Aaron Rodgers to play very, very well for them exactly. to win in January. Go back to the Seattle game and think about a couple of those pass plays where he picked out the right place to go with it on push routes down the field, and you just you couldn't have walked up and handed them off any closer. And in a one-score game, your quarterback is able to make a couple throws like that in January. Give him another one like that. Give him some more receivers. Let us see more of that in January. I, well, just, I agree. Yeah. I know, Paul. I, I mean, I, well, you know, we're seeing a guy, like you said, like, and you make the – you're right. It, it's it's going to start going downhill, but not point. so downhill to where you got to replace him, like, in the next four to five years. I don't think it's going to be that drastic. You know, this is no. the first year since 2009 – I think that I'm going into a season going, Aaron Rodgers isn't the best quarterback in football. Okay, well, he fell down to number four for me. You know, I would probably list them as far as Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, Rodgers, and then I would go Lamar Jackson. That would probably be the Chris Sims top five if I had to go right now. So, yeah, he's still playing at a high level. And then, you know, we talk about the greatest player in the sport right now and Patrick Mahomes. And this is what drives me crazy a little because I agree Mahomes is the best player in the sport, but damn, does he have a lot of talent around him? I mean, does any Aaron Rodgers has and never more had now. Kyrie kill and more Travis Kelsey, Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, Sammy Watkins, McCole Harbin, never, never like, so, you know, again, I, I just, I, I don't get it either, Paul. There's other needs on that football team. Not saying they had to go defense, not, you know, don't, not saying they had to go any specific position. But to go backup quarterback when your team's in the Super Bowl window right now, and you obviously, to your point, need other positions on the team to help the team get over the hump against the elite of the NFL, uh, that's where, yeah, I, I, I disagree with my man Goody, the GM up there in Green Bay on this one. I, I, I've been in the weeds on every single NFL draft since back in 2005, and I, I can't think of a pick I hate more than this one, and I know you feel the same wow. way. I also yeah. always... I always try and see, remove my feelings, uh, my own GM cap off now, and, and try and see the positive of it and say, okay, I'm going to step away from what I believe here. What's the good? And I, I think to be true to ourselves here, Chris, we have to look at today and the weekend. One of the major themes that we've talked about with this draft, the depth at wide receiver. And we've also talked about the history at the wide receiver position, how second and third round picks have turned out to be very, very good, like sure. Devontae Adams. Uh, like, you know, um, Michael, Michael Thomas, Thomas is in New Orleans yeah. right now. So let's right. let's take a step back and realize that. Yeah, we could be singing a different tune about Green Bay on Monday with the wide receiver position. There's also only one running back off the board. You don't like him. I like DeAndre Swift. I think a guy like that would be nice in the second round. 
all the tight sure. ends are still there as well. So that's right. Maybe maybe we get to Saturday and Sunday. And we're like, okay, I see the plan. Let's see how it plays out in the fall or whenever they end up playing football again. So I hope you're right. Not, I hope you're it's right. It's not my number one feeling, as, as I think yeah. we can both tell. But I, I think right. we should look at that and consider it too. And I, I think that if that's the case and they knock it out of the park tonight, you know, in rounds two and three, and then the rest of the draft on Saturday, trust me, you know, I think we're both pretty admirable men or men that will we'll go, damn, Green Bay, way to rebound. We don't like that first right. pick, but – you know, you really addressed all the other needs and got some good players. I think we'll both be the first to say it. But as it stands right now, we're both a little frustrated with what we saw. Okay, let's be in a good mood again, huh? Okay, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so where do you want to go? Doing it in a, well, let's go back to the top with the quarterbacks before we get into the wide receivers and, and Joe Burrow. And I was thinking about this last night and this morning, Chris, considering all the things that we wanted to get into. Uh, because he was such a slam dunk pick at number one, and there was no mystery around it, he was going to be the top guy. Uh, we both like him a whole lot as a prospect. We didn't spend that much time around him uh, or, or on him. So I want to put a button on him just with, with one thought. Your first thought about him when you think about Joe Burrow as it relates to, to how he might do here in year one. Uh, I mean, I, I honestly, I think about, I just, the words that come to my head are baller, Peyton Manning. I mean, that's the kind of the things I think about. And you're right, Paul. He's like the least talked about number one pick I can ever remember because it was such a slam dunk sure thing that it was almost just like, eh, let's move on and analyze other people. We know he's a for sure thing, no problem. But how could you not be amazed by just some of the highlights you saw last night watching the draft? It wasn't like he was sitting there in a clean pocket every play and guys were just running wide open. I mean, he's dodging people in the pocket and throwing balls 30 yards off balance and doing unbelievable things, unbelievable accuracy down the field. And just there's nothing where you can look at the person and go, I don't like it. The person's great, the way he handles himself. He's got a little edge and swagger to him let alone the polish, and you could tell he's very smart and competitive and just unflappable. So, I, I, I mean, yeah, he, he, I love the kid. That's why he was the number one quarterback. You know, when you come away and go, man, the only thing I could maybe not like about him is he's not like the best deep ball thrower. Okay, that's, you know, minute. He's still a really good damn one, but just not Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers as far as that's concerned. And there's a real big part of his story, Chris, that wasn't really a part of his evaluation when you and I did touch about it, that I think is a really likable part. And I don't know how much it's going to have to do with how well he plays or doesn't play in Cincinnati the next 10 years. But when I was thinking about him, it, his lead up to this point is so different than what we've seen here in the recent years. He, he, he redshirted. First of all, how often do we see a quarterback taking this high who redshirted? It doesn't happen very often anymore. No, he didn't play not. for three years. Didn't play for three years. So, you know, he had this time where he had to go back to his dorm and be like, am I ever going to play? Am I ever going to be a, a starting college quarterback? He had to live through that and have the mental toughness and confidence to get by that. Then he had to transfer. And then right. what I really like, and again, it's something that's kind of rare right now. He didn't make it start until he was an upperclassman. I mean, he was a man in his 20s before he got onto the college football field as a starter. And he got that one year as a starter and did fine and had a chance to take a step back and be like, okay, um, what can I be better at? I've had four years right. of college football, one year right. as a starter. 
it's a really super rare thing now to step into a fifth year with only one year as a starter and be like, I know what I need to work on. I'm a grown up, confident man. I saw my mistakes and I can get better at them. And he just took that situation and ran with it better than anybody we've seen here in recent years. Yeah, no, it's the most unbelievable college season I've ever seen at a quarterback. And, you know, again, it's um, it's not like they were playing a cupcake, you know, schedule. Mm -hmm. They're playing the best kids and teams in college football. And, you know, as you said, you hit you hit all the great points. But I, I'm big and I'm big into, you know, what you make happen when things aren't there. And he's hey, listen, when it is there, he's going to make it happen. I can promise you that when it's not there. He's going to make it happen most of the time, too. And that, to me, is the greatest trait he brings, let alone all the things you mentioned. And, yeah, they're just a, you know, I, I hate to say this phrase because it's, like, annoying and people say it on TV, but there is. There's an it factor with this kid that I see. You know, he just brings a lot to the table in a lot of different areas that will make your team uh, much better when he walks into the locker room. Yeah, it factor with Joe Burrow, to me, means a, a maturity a mental toughness he had to have yeah. and a confidence that he had to have to move from year one as a starter to year two uh, with the kind of efficiency that he had. Wide receivers. We knew this was going to be a big part of round one. We had to wait until 12 to see one rugs to, to the Raiders, but then in between 12 and 25, I believe six went off the board. So I, I want to touch on each one. I've got a question about each one of these guys and cool. we'll work it in chronological order. Number 12, Henry Ruggs, to the Raiders, John Gruden and Mike Mayock, when they could have well, had any yeah. wide receiver they wanted, they could have had anyone they wanted. Why do you think they went with him? Well, I thought they would go Jerry Judy, right? I won't lie. Cause I thought Gruden will go with like somebody that reminded him of Jerry Rice. My knowledge of Gruden, my experience of them is that he's obsessed with Jerry Rice. And we used to watch tapes of him all the time. So I thought that might be the guy, but I think ultimately what he took about rugs is, it's just, it's a weapon and it's straight speed. And I think, you know, again, that's sexy when you just evaluate the player and you like that and you look at all the different things you could do with a guy like Ruggs. But I think specifically, this is why I like it for the Raiders, Paul. They want to ground and pound. They want to run the ball. That's what they do first. They have one of the best old lines in football and they have Josh Jacobs, who's emerging as one of the best running backs in football. They got very good tight end play. They got, you know, some other receivers to throw a lot of short and intermediate passes to. Derek Carr is very accurate in doing that. And now you got a guy that's going to scare the shit out of everybody deep. And to me, you know, the one thing I always go back to, I'm big into great offenses make you defend the whole field. And with that formula right there, he's going to put pressure on defenses. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're smashing you with Josh Jacobs. Oh, you want to bring that safety down in the box? Oh, yeah, come on, come down a little closer. Zoom, there goes Henry Ruggs down for a 70-yard touchdown. So from that standpoint, I like that. And Gruden is very creative, and we'll know how to get Henry Ruggs the ball in a lot of different ways. You're talking about what he can do vertically mostly and with that speed in 4-2 and the hands better than I think a lot of people thought when they went to evaluate him. That's right. number one. But, but think about covering horizontally what, what he'll do to that front seven with the way they can manufacture touches with the, the fly sweeps and reverses and the quick screens. Um, so there's a couple of different ways they can use him. If he's all that, that we think he can be, that's a heck of a uh, heck of a weapon there for the for the Raiders at number 12. Jerry it Judy, is. 15 to the Broncos. I know you didn't love him as one of your top five, but do you like the fit with what they're building there with the Broncos? 
I, I really do like the fit. And, yeah, you know, I, that's why I hate the draft process. I like Jerry Judy. You're right. I didn't think he was one of the five best receivers. I knew all along he was going in the top 20 pickets of the draft. You know, that, that wasn't the case. I'm not, I'm not stupid. I mean, I knew there was a lot of teams in football that really liked him. I just didn't see it the same way as all of them. So, uh, but refined, ready to go, incredible route runner. And the big thing is, and we talked about this with the wide receiver position, there was something for everyone in this draft. You need speed. You need a jitterbug. You need a size receiver. You need a slot good route runner. There, there's one of, there's two or three of each to be had for every team and what suits your needs. And I think Jerry Judy does suit some needs there for, for the Denver Broncos. You know, he's got some Emmanuel Sanders type qualities to him. So, you know, you just think about Drew Locke, Melvin Gordon, Noah Fant, Cortland Sutton, Jerry, Judy, holy crap, you know, sign me up. Then, you know, there's another team where I just go, watch out. Denver's defense was good already. And now you've got this emerging offensive firepower. You know, that's going to be scary. And that's an offense, again, that's got a little bit of everything. And you're going to have to defend the whole field with this team because of the variety of talent they have at each position. Two picks later at 17 for the Cowboys. Why do you think CeeDee Lamb was still available? You know, I wish I knew the answer to that. I could tell you this. When I knew when he was available and I went, oh, Dallas is going to pick, I was like, there's just absolutely no way that Jerry Jones is going to pass C.D. Lamb. First off, if there's a player from Arkansas, Oklahoma, or Texas on the board (laughs) that's even worthy of being picked at that position, Jerry's going to pick him. And he understands that, one, because I think he's got a little affection for those schools, but two – you know, that's where they play. They're close to that area. That brings more fans into Dallas. Oh, hey, I'm an Oklahoma fan. Man, my favorite player at Oklahoma the last few years is on the Cowboys. Man, I wasn't a Cowboys fan, but I am now. Let's go see our old college best player or whatever. You know, so there's some thought there. I don't know why C.D. Lamb was still on the board, though, Paul. I don't. You know, really, to me, he was the slam dunk of the draft at the wide receiver position. And You know, again, I mean, him paired with Amari Cooper in that run game, Dak Prescott's going to be really happy. I mean, CeeDee Lamb is size, speed, uh, you know, route running, and not even close the best wide receiver with the ball in his hands in the whole draft. I mean, not even close to anybody else. And uh, I think he's in a great spot with uh, a lot of good players around him to, to really let him flourish and be a star. Eagles at 21, Chris, we all knew they wanted a wide receiver. Okay, they got one. And I know you didn't love the pick at the time, and I I question it too. Jalen Rager, TCU, goes at 21. You know there had to be a discussion between Rager and Jefferson from LSU who went later. We'll talk about him in a moment. I'm not asking if you agree with the pick because I know you don't. Can you see why the Eagles chose Rager? Can you make sense of it why they made that decision? I mean, I can make sense of it. I mean, I think he's a guy that, you know, they look at as somebody who can separate down the field and win with just straight blazing speed. So do that little aspect like Deshaun Jackson. And then I think they also look at it to go, hey, he's a guy we could throw a wide receiver screen to or a slant, and he can make something happen with the ball in his hands after the catch. But, yes, I just don't know um, if he was worthy of that pick to me. You know, I I don't. I think there's just a few too many holes in his football game. He's a good player. But, yeah, I think they overdrafted him. I understand in theory what they're they're trying to accomplish there. But, 
I just don't think he's in the same class as Justin Jefferson or Brandon Ayuk. Brandon Ayuk's the same guy to me, except just a better version. Um, so, yeah, that's why I just – I guess I just didn't love the pick overall, Paul. Okay, so then next, Justin Jefferson is there for the Vikings at 22. I'm sure Rick Spielman was elated. If you're Kirk Cousins, and you, you basically are just a quarterback who's part of a trade, Stephon Diggs for Justin Jefferson. What do you think of that swap? Um, they got a chance to have a guy that could be better than Stephon Diggs a year or two from now. I, I mean, really. You know, you know I love Justin Jefferson. To me, he was the better version of Jerry Judy. Every bit as good as a route runner. Not going to say every bit as good a route runner, maybe slightly less the route runner, but more physical, rips the ball out of the air. Again, yak after the catch, lots of big plays with the ball in his hands, 50-50 balls. I mean, I just, to me, this is one of the steals of the draft. I mean, the fact that he was sitting there, you know, Paul, the one thing I found out, you know, because usually what happens to me is I release my rankings and positions and I have teams and players and, I mean, uh, coaches and front off who see it and follow me. And, you know, they want to talk about it a little. You know, Justin Jefferson from just about, man, almost everybody I know in the NFL, and that's not 32 teams, all of them viewed him as like the top two or top three receivers in the draft. And um, that to me was just amazing that he was still on the board and the Minnesota Vikings got a steal with that one. And he doesn't even have to be the number one option there. If you consider feeling that for Kirk Cousins. No, exactly right. And, you know, he just can do, he can kind of fill two holes in one really. I mean, okay. Yeah. He can play slot like we talked about, but if they want to run the ball and play matchup football on the outside with Thielen and Jefferson, you know, his size and ability to route, route, uh, run routes and everything, he's going to be able to get open in that fashion too, let alone he's an all-around good football player. They want to run the ball. They want to throw the ball over the middle of the field. And Jefferson will run block. He'll go over the middle of the field and be fearless. He's got great understandings of coverages and where to sit down. He's very quarterback friendly that way, let alone he plays much bigger than his sizes as is. So, yeah, you know me, man. I'm on the uh, Jeff and Justin Jefferson fan club big time. Bringing us to the last wide receiver taken there in round one, Chris, and that's Brandon Ayuk out of Arizona State to San Francisco. I, I went back to my notes because I wanted to make sure I remembered it the right way. But you and I, maybe a month ago, spent about an hour and a half talking about the top five wide receivers. And I went back with all the guys I talked to, the evaluators and analysts and GMs, and I, I was correct in remembering none of them had him in their top three or four. But every right. single one of them, before I moved them on to, to tight ends or quarterbacks, they said, wait, 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 wait. We got to talk about the Arizona State guy. So for some reason, he wasn't seen as a top half of the first round pick. But everybody I talked to wanted to add on how much they really liked him. What does yeah, he bring yes. to to Kyle Shanahan specifically? I mean, everything. I mean, I, I think this is, you could argue that this guy's every bit as good a route runner as Jerry Judy. He's one of the best route runners in it. He's very explosive. You know, he is, you know, with the ball in his hands or not, without the ball in his hands. His route, you know, his ability to start, stop, reaccelerate, you know, do double moves, you know, do intricate route running, I think is all so smooth and effortless. Let alone, again, he's another guy, like we talked about with some of these guys already, that's special with the ball in his hand. So I think Kyle Shanahan, first off, who, 
I think is one of the best wide receiver evaluators in the NFL. This is this is when Kyle says something, you know, about receivers. I I listen and I perk up because he looks at it in depth and really has some great nuanced things that he looks for at the position that I don't think a lot of people have an eye to see. And he's taught me a lot, and I'm not going to even share them with you because I don't want to give Kyle secrets, really. Okay, but yeah. I knew Kyle was hot on Brandon Ayuk. I knew he was. I kind of left him off of my mock draft a little sure. bit because I I didn't want to screw my friend over. But right. he thinks he can be Isaac Bruce. And, mm. you know, to your point, Paul, you're right. I think a lot of teams were really liked Ayuk. And I think here in the last, like, week to five days, I think he probably cracked into a lot of teams' top three receivers, maybe even top two in a lot of ways. And I think Shanahan made a real bold move. Hey, they lost Emmanuel Sanders. The Dante Pettis experiment they drafted a few years ago, that hasn't gone great. They only got Debo Samuel and Kendrick Bourne right now. So I think he knew how desperate they were to have that position. And he had a guy he liked at the board there. And they made a trade and got him, which was uh, good by them. I think you have to take one layer back view as well and throw in, just look at pass catchers and throw in Kittle there. So you have Kittle. You have Samuel, and now you have Ayuk. And what, what I've been thinking about this, he's so much different. He's a much different kind of pass catcher and a much different headache on a defense than Kittle is and also what Samuel is too. Yes, he is. Well, this is the guy I think that, you know, you, you'll never be able to peg him for what he's doing on the offense because he can do everything so well. So you go, you know, with like rugs, we just talked about rugs. When Ruggs is in the game, everyone's going to go, uh-oh, they're going to try to go deep. When Ayuk's in the game, you're going to go, man, I don't know what they're going to do with this kid. Shanahan's really creative with, like, the routes he gives his receivers, so this guy can run all the intermediate to lower, you know, yardage-type routes, but yet still has the speed to scare the death out of you and run a bomb over the top, a post route, whatever it may be. And then he's got tremendous shake and body control and acceleration when he does catch wide receiver screens and all those things are paramount for the Shanahan offense. And let's not forget, you know, Shanahan, he likes to live in, you know, base personnel, two backs, one tight end, two receivers. So to have two really good ones to go along with what you said, the tight end and the running attack, like, holy shit, San Francisco, you're going to be hard to defend. <laughs> yeah. They, they were tough to defend last year. And now they make a pick that makes them appear to be even tougher to defend this coming season. Six receivers in round one, also six offensive tackles in round one. No real surprise. I mean, most of us saw it playing out that way. The order was the big question. There was, there was a wide range of views out there about who was the best offensive tackle, uh, you know, who belonged one through five. Your top four were the top four to go, not, not in the exact one, two, three, four order, but your top four were in some fashion the top four to come off the board. What did you think of Thomas being the first one to the Giants at four? Well, I got no problem with that. You know, you know, I, I, you know, as I've said on the podcast, the top three tackles to me stood alone. And yes, I ranked them Wills Jr., Becton, then Thomas. But I did say on my podcast that, you know, all three of these guys are phenomenal. They are. They're all franchise left tackle types. You couldn't go wrong with any of the three. So, yeah, the Giants, I thought they might go Wills Jr., but I certainly understand it. This guy's big, physical, you know, got unbelievable arm length. 
You know, I, I really, again, I think all three of these guys have like Hall of Fame type potential when I talk about the three top three tackles off the draft. And I know people and fans, like I get friends that text me when the Giants make that pick, like, damn, couldn't we got a tackle later on in the round? Couldn't we just trade down? I hate taking a tackle with number four. Okay, well, you know, if you went down too far, you might have not got one of the top three, and that would have been scary. You know, Tristan Wirfs, yes, he went to Tampa at 14. Tristan Wirfs has very slow feet and would scare the death at me scared the death of me of at, at, at pass protection, a tackle. I think he's a more of a guard. We'll see how that plays out. They drafted him as a tackle, so that's what they're going with. But the other three guys, I think for sure, are franchise left tackles, dominant, going to be your starters for eight to ten years. And when you take those three teams into account, I mean, Giants fans, if you want Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley to be good, they need, they need help. They need somebody to block. Um, 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 Cleveland, if you want Baker Mayfield and Nick Chubb and Odell Beckham Jr. to be this awesome trio, he needs Baker Mayfield needs time. All right, so they did that. That was smart. And then the same thing goes with Mekhi Becton and the New York Jets. You want Sam Darnold and Le'Veon Bell to start balling out? Well, damn, they need help. They can't just make stuff happen by themselves all the time. And as we've discussed so many times, there's so many freaky defensive ends in the NFL right now that come in so many different shapes, sizes, speeds, power ranks, everything, that you got to have a big-time tackle. And those three, to me, are special. Compared to what they could have had with these picks, which New York tackle selection do you like the best? Thomas at four to the Giants or Becton at 11 to the Jets? Well, you know, I thought I, – I think I, I picked Becton to go to the Jets – uh, yes, did. in yeah. the mock draft because I, I thought he would fall. You know, I, I did. I thought the drug test would scare teams just a little bit to where he fell a few spots. You know, uh, I, I like Wills the best. I mean, but you're saying, wait, out of the New York guys, I like Becton yes, the best. Yeah. I like Becton okay. the best. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, Becton to me, as long as he keeps his weight under control, is Jason Peters is like, uh, you know, is Orlando Pace. I think he's that type of guy as long as he doesn't, you know, have a bad offseason and eat himself out of the league. Right. And yeah. I asked this question at the top of the show. I'm going to ask, actually ask it now and allow you to answer it. The seventh offensive lineman, sixth tackle, Wilson going 29 to Senate to Tennessee. I know it fits a need. Was he a reach at that spot? A little bit, but I don't get mad to what you said at the top, which I think was the right thing. When a team has a plan and they know and they're sold on a style in which they want to play football and Rabel wants to be big and physical and overpower you and they their offensive line was the reason they got to the final four last year. So I think they recognize that. And Wilson, yes, does he have some things to clean up? You know, yeah, is he one of the top 32 players in the draft? No, he's not. But again, it's such a premium position. You know, left tackle, right tackle, that shit's over. Like, it doesn't right. matter anymore. Khalil Mack goes on both sides. Von Miller goes on both sides. So you got to have good ones either way. And the Titans are building a successful team through that run game, play action pass. You know, Brable's going to coach up the defense. And I'm not mad at them for the pick, even though I do think it's a little bit of a reach. Look at what they learned in the second half of last year, that Ryan Tannehill, number one, is 
probably much better than they even hoped he would be. Derrick right. Henry, they knew he was really good, probably even better than they thought based off of what he did last November, December, and January too. And they lost their best tackle. So I, I'm just putting an exclamation point on top of what we've been talking about. They have an identity and they made a pick to make the best players on their team even better. So we'll see That's if Wilson right. can play, but it makes a lot yep. of sense that they would take him there. Okay, teams with multiple picks is the next section we have. Uh, let's start with Miami. Let's start with the Dolphins. We talked about Tua, but they had the best and the most picks in the first round in the entire draft of 14. The Vikings are now tied with 14. Uh, but Miami now has Tua Tungavailoa. They have Austin Jackson at tackle. And they have the Auburn corner, which is probably the safest way of, of describing that player they have. So with the three <laughs> that they got out of their trio of first-round picks – What's the letter grade you would give to the Dolphins after those three? Oh, I would probably give them a B, something like that. Just a solid B, not a B plus, not a B minus. Two reasons here. I thought you might you dip know, into the C's there. With, with I, you know, I, I'm not because, again, I still think these are good football players. I think the thing I look at, you know, is the risk factor. Again, you know, we talked about Tua. Sure, I know I didn't love him, but he certainly was a first-round quarterback and all of that. And if they like him, just like we talked about with the Tennessee Titans, I got no problem with you taking the guy you like and think that he's going to be the franchise quarterback. So, you know, I'm not going to dock them too many points for that. Then, you know, Austin Jackson, again, has got tremendous ability. He was one of those films where you just kept going – Man, why why is he missing that block? Man, why what is going on? Like, you know, the because you'd see power, you'd see unbelievable foot quickness. You know, you'd see unbelievable handwork and ability to stun pass rushers and do all that. But then you'd see like, you know, a handful of plays every game where you'd go, "Damn, that guy just ran around him. Damn, that guy just pushed him back into the quarterback. Damn, he just missed the block in the run game." Now, I I think Miami did their homework here and knows this guy has all the physical traits to be a top franchise left tackle, but he did. He had the bone marrow transplant, and I'm sure they have good information to think that, that Austin Jackson wasn't at his best physically last year, and that this second year away from that surgery, he'll be a different person and a different man altogether. So I, I'm playing that angle. Like I said, it's, so the first two picks are risky to me is all I'm saying. And then pick mm -hmm. number three – are there some corners that I like more on the board? Yes, but I think they were specifically going to a nickel corner, maybe a guy who could play safety. This Auburn kid where, yeah, I'm afraid to say his name as well. Uh, you know, I think he does have some safety qualities. One of the things I wrote in my evaluation is I'm not so sure he might not be a better safety when all said and done because he's a very aggressive tackler. He really comes down and attacks people that way. But nonetheless – it's Brian Flores, and to what you said once again with the Tennessee Titans, they have a plan. They do. And he's big into, I want my secondary to be New England-like. I came from New England. I know how to win games that way. And now he has two unbelievable corners on the outside and this kid on the inside to where you go, damn, this is one of the best corner groups in all of football right now, and they haven't even took the, took the field yet. And if he ends up being a safety, like you mentioned, I kind of look at it like you just talked about with the left tackle, right tackle. It's not a failure if he ends up no. being a better right. safety. With the way the game is played now, I mean, in a lot of ways, the safety is more valuable with the number of things that Flores might That's ask right. him to do. So if it plays out that way, 
that that would be. Your, hey, Charles well. Woodson. We, we, I think we could sit here and go. Charles Woodson ended up being a better safety than he was corner, and he's right? still you know a Hall of Fame player. So you know you, you're exactly right. I got no issue if it ends up not working at nickel and he ends up at safety. You know, I think he can be very successful there. Five other teams had two first-round picks there, Chris. We've been talking about Jacksonville, Las Vegas Raiders, Los Angeles Chargers, the Niners, and the Vikings. I'd like for each one of us, and you can go first, pick out one of those teams, one of those five teams that also had multiple picks that you liked the best and thought did the best work, and tell me why. Damn, this is really tough because I think three of them are really special. Like, you know, I, I sit here and just go Chargers 49, Chargers 49ers and Jaguars. Like, I really like all three of those. So this is nitpicky crap here. I mean, it, it, I was like, I've switched my answer like three times since we started the podcast. But I think <laughs> I'm going to go with the Jaguars. I am. You know, I just look Surprise. at what they built. I know, I know, I love my man Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch. They made some moves. I'm not as high on Ayuk as my buddy Kyle Shanahan is, all right? So that's probably why I give the Jags the edge. And you know I like Kenneth Murray and Herbert, too. So this is what makes mm -hmm. it tough. But C.J. Henderson was the most talented corner in the draft. Jacksonville had a desperate need at that position. This guy has... Jalen Ramsey-ish type talent. That's what he, I mean, this kid can be special. He's a lockdown, island corner, tremendous speed, tremendous ability to stick his foot in the ground and change direction and accelerate and break on the ball. So I love that. And then, I mean, maybe my favorite man crush of the draft is Caleb on Chason. You know, really, I just look at him and I think he's Von Miller. He's D Ford. You know, he's Derek Thomas. He's that type of Got player to me. 20. I know. And now you think about, like, man, their front seven with Miles, Jack, Joe Schobert, Josh Allen, Taven Bryan, and now Clavon Chase on the freak coming off the edge, let alone, you know, Henderson at corner. I just think of that defense and I go, Saxonville 2.0 is here. They're back. And uh, I, I just, I, I'm in love with those two prospects. And that's why I go with Jacksonville. You had a lot of good options there. That's not the one I thought you were going to go with as I was trying to pick out one that maybe Chris – I had you down for San Francisco. Uh, so I, I thought I, you I had did. that one scratched off. <laughs> I had that one scratched off my list. I'm going to go with the Vikings uh, with getting Justin Jefferson and also Jeff Gladney for a part of the game that, that I love that's changed right now is so much is based off of what's happening in the slot. And you have Justin Jefferson, who I've said the last month, has just worn people out in the SEC. A lot of good corners at the slot. And I think that makes Kirk Cousins uh, even better to have him right there. And Jeff Gladney, for a lot of reasons, wasn't seen as a high first round pick to play on the outside, to go one-on-one -on -one against a team's best receiver. But I had a number of people tell me he's going to be really good in the slot. He's really tough. That's what he's it is. It, yes. He's got great instincts in there. And so much of the passing game, both sides of the ball is about how well can you, what kind of production do you get from the slot and how well can you defend it? And those were big needs for Rick Spielman. I think he got two good players there. And also by trading back, he got a fourth and a fifth round pick. So 14 total picks for the Vikings now, more than any other team in the NFC. And for a playoff team that won a game, they came out of free agency with a, a lot more holes than you would expect on a roster of a team that won in January. So for the total no package there, I really like what the Vikings did. Yeah, agreed. I mean, they address two big-time needs for their football team. And again, Mike Zimmer is one of those guys where 
you know, hey, do I, did I like Christian Fulton from LSU better than Gladney? Yeah, I did. But, like, Mike Zimmer is one of those guys, when he picks a corner, my ears pick up, perk up, because I just go, he knows corners. I mean, this is one of the masters of corner evaluation in the history of the NFL. So, you know, yes, I, I like Gladney. I didn't really think he would be to maybe pick 40, pick 42. But regardless, there is great value. And, you know, again, like we talked about at the start of the, the this pod, you know, I, I think there was a value that we saw here put on these slot corners because of the importance to what you alluded with with the slot receivers in the NFL right now. Yep. A very difficult position to play with the number of two-way goes and running backs, receivers, tight ends that you get in there. Before we move on to our top five favorite picks, and we're each going to get five there, the Raiders, they had multiple picks. We talked about Ruggs, the wide receiver, and the speed and the way they can manufacture touches. What about the corner, Arnett, out of Ohio State? Uh, outside of Love, the quarterback who went to the Packers, a lot of people thought that was the biggest reach in round one. I want to get your thoughts on that one. Well, I, I would agree with a lot of people on that one. You know, this is another guy where, you know, again, like the player, was certainly worthy of, of to me, a, a top 50 pick. But at number 19, no. All right, I don't. First off, you know, again, all right, so on film, you know, there's things to really like about the kid. He is really aggressive and quick at the line of scrimmage. His ability to, like, if he's playing off coverage and the guy runs a slant route, his ability to accelerate and make a play on the ball is very special. From that standpoint right there, like, those two things he is very good at. Now, the speed is bothering to me, Paul. When you run four, five, seven at corner, that that bothers me, and it showed on film. It was one of my biggest things I wrote down. It scares me because if he gets beat off the line of scrimmage, he's in deep crap, and I think that's what bothered me. You know, again, and people go, well, okay, you know, well, we want him to work the slot. I understand that, but Tyree Kill's going to be in the slot sometimes, and it's going to be big trouble, little China, when that happens. Okay, that's where it bothers me a little bit. You know, and again, the draft is about also knowing the value of your board and where guys are going to go on other people's boards and everything like that. And to me, yes, this was a severe overreach. I, I wonder if the Raiders were trying to trade down here at this point because, you know, again, I think you probably could have got this guy in the mid-30s, something like that. So that's where I just don't quite understand it. And, you know, again, four, five, seven at corner – is the concerning number to me. It's like, oh, we drafted a nose tackle. How much does he weigh? 265 pounds. What? What? <laughs> oh, yes, that's concerning. So those are one of those numbers that, yeah, I do correlate, especially when I don't see on film a difference in speed. You know, okay, maybe he's not a 4.57. Maybe he's a 4.54 on film. He's a little faster than his 40 time, but it's not much. And, uh, yes, you know, it, it's – Mike Mayock has done so great building the Raiders. I love so many things he has done. But his first picks of the last two drafts, to me, are like, they're troubling. They're head-scratching. It's like a little bit of like, I'm smarter than everybody else, and I found somebody that nobody else found, and I just, I, you know, I don't get that. Everything else, I've loved it. I just didn't like that pick last night. But but his first pick last night was Henry Oh, my Ruggs, second pick. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. You're right. Rugs, I liked Rugs. Sorry, I misspoke there. Yes, yes. There you go. Okay, next next section here of our post-round one reaction. Top five favorite picks. No rules here. 
We're going to go in order. You get one. I get one. If your number one pick is my number five pick, that's okay. We can explain. I'm not including quarterbacks, but you can. Me neither. If you would like. No. Okay, good. I didn't either. I'm, I'm staying. I mean, Very come good. on. I mean, we're, we talk about quarterbacks. That's all know, we freaking know, do. Right? It's, you know, yeah. so I'm glad you're doing that. Way to go, man. Excellent. Yeah. I took the liberty of just scratching that off and made that a rule for myself. So now we make it a rule for the for the duo here. Okay, number one favorite pick in the draft. Who you got? I, I it's tough, but I think I'm going to go C.D. Lamb to the Dallas Cowboys. You know, that would be my number one pick. The fact that he was sitting there on the board at 17, and I think it's just such a special, dynamic player who we've seen perform at such a high level for three years in a row against no matter who the competition is. His freshman year against Georgia, you know, the next year in the Final Four, this past year, what we saw him do against LSU, you know, I, I just think this is a phenomenal talent. I can't miss prospect. I, I really love the player, and Dallas got a steal. Dallas, Jerry Jones, I just read a quote. I mean, he was the number six player on their board. So, I mean, Jerry's really old, but he might have done a, 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 you know, a, what the hell are they called? A somersault? Not a backflip? A summer, or the, what, the, cart, the cartwheel, whatever <laughs> the hell they're called. <laughs> He did something like that when he was like, what? C.D. Lamb's on the board at 17? I'll take it. Sold. He might have if he wasn't so comfortable on that white leather couch in, the, in his home Beautiful theater. Beautiful couch. Yeah. Right? He, yes. he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't want to remove himself from there. Okay, my number one favorite pick. I'm going to go all the way down bottom of the first or near the bottom. The Baltimore Ravens getting Patrick Queen, inside linebacker from LSU. And here's the reason why. I remember very well sitting down to watch a national championship game. And like you, I'm there mainly to watch the quarterback and maybe also to watch the receivers. And there was a linebacker for LSU that kept showing up with the speed from sideline to sideline and then striking with some anger when he was getting to the ball carrier. About the second quarter, I'm like, who is this guy? And I wish I would have said it at the time, Chris. I didn't say, you know what, inside linebacker is a kind of pick that goes later in the first round. I bet the Ravens end up with this guy. I wish I would have said that, but I didn't. And it's just perfect that the Ravens end up with that kind of difference maker, that kind of talent there at the bottom of round one. So that's that's my first guy. That's all. I mean, he's a Raven. I mean, it just it, it fits, right? It just seems like yeah. you know, the attitude, the ferociousness in which he plays. They got all these big people in front of him, and now he can just yes. go attack the ball. I mean, it, it, it makes a lot of sense. I'm with you. You know, it didn't make my top five, but it was on my – you know, uh, next group down. Honorable mention. I, I'm a big fan. Honorable mention. There My number two, I'm going Kate LeVon Chason with the Jacksonville Jaguars at 20. You know, I thought Kate LeVon Chason was right on the border of being one of the 10 best players in the draft. So I love the player. I think, I mean, he's 20 years old. He's only going to get stronger and faster. I think he's the most natural pass rusher in the draft. I mean, I know Chase Young is the most talented, but I think when it comes to bend, spin moves, variety of moves, and just built to be a pass rusher, Kaylevon Chason is that, let alone it's the perfect scheme match. I mean, again, Jacksonville runs the Seattle defensive scheme, right? Deep, Seattle won Super Bowls with great pass rushers. Jacksonville was good a few years ago with great pass rushers. 49ers, same scheme, great pass rushers. So it just makes Los Angeles Chargers great pass rushers, same scheme. So from that standpoint, I just think it's a it's a killer combination. 
My second uh, second favorite pick, uh, Jerry Judy, wide receiver, going to the Broncos. And it's it's not just about the player. I always like to remind myself, every pick in the first round doesn't live in a bubble. Think about it in a chunk. Take a step back yeah. and look at what that GM has done recently in the offseason, the last two drafts. You go back two years ago, Chris, the Denver Broncos didn't have Drew Locke. They didn't have Melvin Gordon. They didn't have Philip Lindsay. They didn't have Noah Fant, Cortland Sutton, or Jerry Judy. So in two years, they've kind of put together this very nice, promising nucleus of offensive skill players. Boy, Drew Locke did a nice job last December when he got to be the starting quarterback. They won four or five games. So I like what they're doing there with that little group inside of that building. And I also like what they're chasing. They're chasing the Chiefs. They didn't score a touchdown against them last December. And by adding a very good receiver, they give themselves a better chance to compete with what they're chasing there in their own division. No, no doubt. You know, I, I you know, listen, it's, it's easy to fall in love with what that group is right there. You're right. I mean, it's about what their offense is now in totality that is right. very special. And I like that too, Paul. I mean, it, I really do. Uh, and, you know, I, I guess what I want to say a little bit just off of what you said is, you know, people bag on John Elway, the GM sometimes, and I don't like it, nor do I get it. I don't get it. You know, is there any other GMs that have been to two Super Bowls outside of New England in the last decade other than John Schneider? No. Been to a few AFC championship games to go along with that. The Denver Broncos have been a very, very good football team throughout John Elway's tenure. I know the last two years haven't been great, but damn. I mean, you can't be great for like 10 years straight. At some point, you got to take a step back and rebuild the team. And I think he's done that in a hurry. Between the players you mentioned, A.J. Bouye making a trade for him this offseason, Darrell Casey, you know, Bradley Chubb in the draft two years ago, who didn't even play last year. So, Denver is one of those teams that's on the rise, and I'd say watch out for And just consider this too, Chris, before we move on to number three. Think about how much better the players inside that building would be if they had his motivation, that, that picture of you succeeding as a Denver Bronco that you stole and you now yeah, have in the right. basement. <laughs> You're funny. You're a funny guy. <laughs> that's worth a winner too, maybe. <laughs> maybe. I doubt it. I, maybe they could have used it as a dartboard or something to like, you know. <laughs> Beat the shit out of something like that. Even better. Um, okay. My number your third three, favorite pick. I, I'm going to go Isaiah Simmons to the Cardinals at number eight. You know, again, I, I, I hate the draft sometimes because everybody gets over, over analytical. Hey, sometimes let's just take the guy that's really big and fast and makes a lot of plays on the football field and causes disruption and has all the physical tools and we see it on film and have the evidence to know – when you pick a position for him, he's going to be able to do it. And that, to me, you know, I just was wondering if anybody was going to pick Isaiah Simmons, my top linebacker in the top 10. You know, I thought everybody might get a little scared. Oh, I don't know what position to play him at. Hey, doesn't matter. Get him close to the line of scrimmage at the second level. Let him go find the ball. He can do it all. It's, this is not like some, you know, athletic, you know, soft type player. There's physicality there, there's great instincts, and there's a lot of versatility in what he can do at that second level for your defense. So I really love that pick. You know, another player you like brings me to number to my third favorite, Javon Kinlaw, going to the San Francisco 49ers. And I'm basing a lot of it on listening to you and how much you liked him and almost had him as the number one guy at that position. And it goes back to this theme that you and I have been talking about and patting people on the back 
for, for doing it this way. San Francisco became San Francisco the last year and a half because of their defensive line. And maybe he's not as good as DeForest Buckner. Uh, maybe he's a shadow of that. But at least they recognize what made them special. And they went and got somebody really, really good at that spot. And I just you know, had a you know, quiet little applause there on my couch for, for the teams that did that last night. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, those are those are big time moves. I mean, for them to have the vision of trading DeForest Buckner away and like you're saying, getting basically another DeForest Buckner at that pick, you know, with, yes, on a, a part of their team that was a truly elite unit in, uh, across the board in the NFL. Yeah. And, and I'll, you know, I'll second you with this, uh, Paul. I think Kinlaw is better than DeForest Buckner was coming out of Oregon. Wow. I do. Yeah. I, I mean, this is this is an ass kicker. So, I, you know, my buddy Kyle Shanahan, he was sitting there at 14, and I bet you he was having a tough time because I know my buddy likes C.D. Lamb, too. And he had C.D. Lamb and Javon Kinlaw on the board, and he was probably going, damn, what the hell do I do? But Kinlaw, just too big, physical, powerful to pass up. So I like that one by you. I'm all with you. Hey, my number four, I'm going to Justin Jefferson. You know, somebody you hit on. But just to get him, was my second favorite receiver in the draft. I think he is like a can't-miss prospect. You know, even if he fails, he's going to be like 85 receptions a year. But I think he's going to be a guy that can get 100, 105, 110, and make more plays with the ball in his hands than a guy like Michael Thomas can. And, you know, most people think Mike Thomas is the best receiver in football. So, uh, you know, to echo what you said, to get Justin Jefferson, such a big need for that football team, and then to get him at, what was that, pick 22? That, that is damn special to me. You mentioned the Saints, and I'm going to the Saints at number four, what they did at 24. Cesar Ruiz, the number one interior offensive lineman in this class. We'll see if they play him at center or guard, but I think about it this way. I mean, Drew Brees is going to play one, maybe two more years. Uh, you can say what you want about is he as, as good as he was three or four years ago. His presence there still gives them a chance to be a 12, 13, 14 win team. Definitely. And what, what's one of the things he's really, really good at? senses pressure from the outside and steps up. So if you're thinking as a defensive coordinator and you want to get after him, maybe you bring that pressure from up the middle, make the middle of your offensive line better. You've strengthened the part of your team that gives you reason to think you can play in late January anyway. So that's my fourth favorite one. No, no doubt. You know, a little bit of what you just said with the 49ers, right? I mean, they addressed their strength of their team and kept right. it strong to where it's like, it's a force to be reckoned with on a weekly basis. The Saints offensive line is one of the five best offensive lines in football. I mean, they got a big-time tackle in Teron Armstead. Ryan Ramchek is in the conversation for best right tackle in football with Lane Johnson. You know, they got good guard play with Andrews Pete. And now you got a center or a guard like you're saying with Ruiz. You know, that, that's impressive. And Sean Payton likes to run the football. We can't forget that. Right. You know, two right. years ago, they were one of the five best running teams in the sport. So uh, I'm with you, man. I, you know. There's something to be said about having a part of your team that's a game changer. And that's a game yes. changer for the Saints because teams go, damn, what do we do against this great offensive line? They really compromise you in a lot of different ways. So uh, good pick by you. My last one, uh, I'm going with Clydro because that's his nickname. He told me Clydro, <laughs> Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Okay. And I want to say this, Chris, I want to say this and I'll yeah. let you go, because if you say it, you know, it, it's different if it comes from me. He was your number one running back and he was the first one off the board. And you said in your mock that he would go to the Chiefs. So one, two, you hit them both. Now go ahead. 
Okay. Thank you very much. Thanks for being my yes. hype man. I appreciate that, Don King. You the man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but but it, uh, yes, I you know I fell in love with the player with what I saw on film. I got to interview him earlier this week. I fell in love with him some more. So I got a man crush on him because of what I see on film. I mean, I see you know Barry Sanders, Brian Westbrook type quickness, breaking ankles all over the place. Start. Stop back up the full speed in three steps, unbelievable route runner, incredible strength and power for his size between the tackles. Yes, to me, uh, you know, again, it's funny. It's the same theme we just talked about with some of these other guys. They have an elite unit on their football team. Kansas City wins games with their offense. Don't yep. try to change all of a sudden and go, oh, we're going to be a defensive team. No. Just keep being the Kansas City Chiefs. Put everybody, put put pressure on everybody with your offense and your weapons and this great quarterback. And it really dictates the pace of the game more weeks than not because other teams have to adjust because they go, holy shit, our offense, we got to push the envelope because we got to pe- keep pace with, with Patrick Mahomes and company. Our defense, we're going to have to do some different things in this game. We have no chance to stop them unless we do a few things that uh, might be out of our comfort zone. And – to me, there's greatness in that. So I love the pick by the Chiefs. And, hey, by the way, the only reason I didn't have that as one of my one, two, or three picks was out of respect to you and the fact that you had him there as your number one and to the Chiefs. So I wanted to leave that space to you. But he, he's certainly on my honorable mention as well. Yes, Thank my you. fifth and final favorite pick, I'm going offensive line with the Cleveland Browns, Wills, Jedrick Wills, the tackle. And this is for a couple of reasons. You can clearly see the plan that Andrew Bray brought in. They prioritized tackle on both sides. They got Conklin from the Titans. And now with their first round pick, they use uh, they use one on Jedrick Wills. So they took care of what they prioritized there in the offseason. I like that. And I got tired last year of bagging on Baker Mayfield. I mean, he wasn't playing well. Uh, the team was a disappointment. He wasn't handling himself that well in the postseason press conferences. I would love to see him play well. I think it'd be fun right. for the league to have Baker Mayfield be a couple notches better than he was last year. So I applaud that pick. No doubt. And there was, this was an issue, you know, when they played teams with, with really good defensive lines, you know, again, this is, doesn't always get talked about when we break down quarterbacks and yeah, Baker Mayfield did not have his best year. It wasn't as good as his rookie year, but there was issues with pass protection throughout the year that it did affect his play, you know, his play and his decision-making at times too. So, yeah, they killed it with that pick. And now you got two studs on both edges like you're talking about. They got a top five running back. We know about the receivers, good tight ends. I mean, yeah, I'm with you. And I want Cleveland to be good. I'm just I, – I'm, I'm, I, yeah. I, I want a new fresh look in the NFL, and I like yeah. those players. And there's a lot to admire about the Cleveland fan base and all of that. So I'm with you, Paul. That was a great one. 32 picks off the board before we say goodbye here this afternoon. Your top three players still on the board could be any position. They could all be at the same position, however you'd like to roll it out. I, I You know, I think the top three players, and, you know, because I wrote about seven or eight guys here that I got very similar grades to where I could really put it any way I wanted to. But to me, the two safeties that are still on the board would be my top one and two. Antoine Winfield Jr. to me is Earl Thomas, you know, and I I just am shocked he didn't go in round one. I really am. You know, I love his ability, like we've talked about on the podcast already, to play center field, 
come down, be aggressive in the run game. He's amazing ball skills deep down the field when he is in coverage. So that would be one. Xavier McKinney would be my number two from Alabama. You know, he's more of a nickel slash safety type corner. But I just thought his quickness and explosiveness in little short areas, which is expected, you know, out of that strong safety nickel type position and what I think they'll ask him to do, I thought that was special. I thought it popped off the screen. Uh, so those would probably be one, two. And then my third one, I really think is Christian Fulton, the corner from LSU. Christian Fulton, you know, again, I, I would say if, if I was Miami or Minnesota, I would have gone Christian Fulton over the two corners they did because I think Fulton can be a phenomenal in the slot as well. He's strong. He's got great feet. I really thought he reminded me of Chris Harris Jr. in my evaluation. So those would be my top three. But I don't want us to forget about Zach Bond from Wisconsin, A.J. Epinesa, T. Higgins, you know, Michael Pittman Jr., Cole Komet, as we know, is so talented. Those are the next group of guys all together that I look at should have their names called here pretty quickly in round two. You throw Chase uh, Claypool into that mix from Notre Dame as well, who will likely go at some point of the second round. Where are you watching tonight? You watching like with family? Do you shut everybody out? Watch by yourself? How do you do it? I like to like, you know, the wife sits next to me on the couch. She's kind of keeps an eye on the draft and flips through her phone or the computer. And she's looking at clothes and Instagram and everything like that. My little girl sits there and watches her YouTube videos on the couch. She peeks up every now and then. So I'll be doing that tonight. I might pour a drink. I might roll up a big fatty on Friday night too. And then really enjoy the draft all the way. So I'm excited for it. It's been a long week. The draft process, as you know, it can be grueling. And I yes. you know, I finally made it to where I could just sit back and enjoy. So it was fun to watch last night, and I look forward to the night. And on Saturday mornings, you don't have to wake up and talk with Florio, so that the sleep-in factor can affect your decisions tonight as well. Exactly right. I, I don't got anything to worry about tomorrow morning. No getting up at 5.30 in the morning, and more importantly, don't got to deal with that jerk Florio at 7 a.m. So that'll be <laughs> a very relaxing morning. I'm ready for it. You can call him if you'd like. I'm sure he'd be in a chatty mood at that time. No, thanks. I got enough of him. That's, that's, we don't need to. <laughs> but, Paulie, you're hey, the man, was, dude. I, I appreciate everything fun. you do, man. Great job. Great questions. Paul, you got a great feel for the NFL. Uh, I think we had a good conversation today. And next week, we'll be back. Going to do a draft Monday. recap on Monday. We're going to hit it all. What went on? What went down? What teams won the draft? What teams were, you know, disappointing? And we'll break down all things that are going on in the NFL right here on Chris Sims Unbuttoned. Peace out. Paulie. you the man. Have a good weekend. You too, buddy. See you, man. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bottom up at participating McDonald's.